We all value intelligence, cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, social intelligence. But what about aesthetic intelligence? Why don't we ever talk about that? And what even is aesthetic intelligence? For more on the power of the other AI, here's Pauline Brown. Hello, welcome back to The Other AI. This is Pauline Brown. I am back now with Andrea Magno and Meredith Kinsman. They're both executives at uh, the leading paint company, Benjamin Moore. We are talking about everything from color trends to the business of painting a wall, (laughs) which is a big business. Um, So I wanna pick up on a topic that came up toward the end of our last segment, and that was around naming. Uh, I've got to believe, but tell me if I'm wrong, that there is um, someone or maybe an entire team in your company whose sole job is to come up with these names. True or not true? Sort of true. (laughs) (laughs) So that falls under my team. And, um, you know, there's different, different ways that we go about it. You know, over the years, there have been collections like our color preview collection that came out in 2000. And the way that they did it at the time was they basically asked all the employees to throw out name ideas and bring them together. And and that's really how a lot of those names came to be. But then there are other times when there's a smaller group, you know, maybe it'll just be my team that'll sit down and we will brainstorm and come up with different ideas for color names. Mm. And, um, and, and there's really a, quite a process that goes into it just because we need to have multiple options for one color, just because we have to go through a lot of different things where, you know, we don't want to choose a name that is too close to something that exists, or, you know, that is a color name that another paint company may have, or, you know, there's some other factor that we have Mm. to take into consideration before we can actually land on a final name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, you know, Mm. it's, it's fun, you know, and we don't, we don't do it that much, you know, it's really only, when we have a new collection come out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we we go through that process. Meredith, I, I want to talk to you about uh, digitization of color. So you are a digital marketer for Benjamin Moore. I actually, and we've talked about this offline, I use the app to color match. I will say, um, because screens have gotten a lot better uh, in the last many years, it is easier to do this well now but it's still never as exacting. So things that I see, whether it's on my phone or on my Mac, my PC, won't necessarily replicate how it will feel in space. So how do you overcome this as a person in charge of the digital marketing? Sure. So, you know, we're just, we're trying to be there in every medium we can possibly be to make that easier. We recently redesigned our color pages. Um, Highly recommend you check them out at benjaminmore.com. But one of the things we did is make the color full bleed across the entire page. So if you have a large screen and it's next to your wall, you're actually seeing a giant sort of paint chip in front of you. And that's really important. I think the other thing that's important is being able to see different photos of that color in different different situations. Mm -hmm. It's just the same in real life because the lighting changes throughout the day. What you have around that color will impact how that color looks. So it's, you know, we work very, very hard on getting the hex 
colors and the RGBs exactly correct in all of our photography and as much as we can on our screens. On our screens too, if you're in the designer section of our website, there are instructions on how to calibrate your screen to get oh. it as close as possible, which is great. And then, you know, we really, of course, love the AR experience we have on our color portfolio app, you know, you can hold your phone up and see it across a room in the room. That technology, we are doing a ton of research on making sure that we are on the bleeding edge of the best of the best of that. It's getting better every year. So we're really excited about that. I do predict one day very soon, you're just, you're going to put on your glasses and you'll be able to look with your designer in your room and it'll all be on the wall. And you can just hmm. see how the light affects it right now and things like that. That's starting to come with some of the AI um, and machine learning around those aspects, but it still can be a little bit of a jagged experience. The mm. other option too, is to upload a photo on benjaminmore.com and sort of uh, mask out the color, which is fun to do too. And, mm. you know, really kind of experimenting with all those will get you very close, but then you can also order a sample online and have it yep. shipped to your door, you know, two day shipping on our peel and sticks. You can get a wet sample, um, a little half pint to kind of brush out on the wall. And that's really the best way, you know, if you want to be absolutely certain to kind of, to play with those colors, but you know, uh, the other thing that I think is really interesting um, and that we're, we're studying quite a bit too is how accessibility in color has impacted web design. So there's all these regulations now around making sure that our sites are accessible to people who might not be cited, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that benjaminmore.com, you can still navigate that. You can still get a sense of what the color is without even being able to see the color. So that's, you know, a lot in how we're describing things, how we're describing every image, how we're using alternative text on things. And then the color choices you make are really important too. Like, is there enough contrast on the page? Um, and so I think that's really, to get to your question, what's impacted, you know, color and web design the most is probably that accessibility piece is pushing a lot of companies into a very high contrast palette and a lot of black and white, to be honest, because that's going to be what really helps you see the best. It's, it's hard these days to provide that accessibility if you have a lot of color in your branding that mm -hmm. um, is making that contrast mm -hmm. not as high as it should be. Now, I know in the automotive industry, and it's very crude, but it's interesting development, they're coming up with technologies where you can actually decide what color you want your car to be today. The one that I saw, and I believe it was a BMW uh, next generation model, I think there were only two or three shades, and they were sort of varying between black and white and maybe some gray in the middle, which isn't that interesting to me, but the idea that I could press a button and it would actually turn into another color is super interesting. Are we going to have that in the foreseeable future on our walls? I, I've definitely heard of that. You know, I've heard of, you know, painting pixels on a wall, you know, so as screens get different, there's also certain types of screens that aren't, um, aren't emitting as much light. Mm -hmm. um, and it looks like a little bit of a flatter surface. So, you know, I can, I can imagine a world, I haven't seen it yet, but I can imagine a world where it gets like that. I know some people in their homes now there's, you know, there's a, and sort of some higher end sort of design, I don't know, might be at Kanye West house or something, right? Uh -huh. You might have a room where like the one full wall is, a, is an entire color that is, um, LED, you know, mm -hmm. essentially, and that you can change it. Um, I don't know, Andrea, if you've seen any of that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some different things with different light bulbs that have been out for a little bit of, you know, for a little while where you're able to adjust and, you know, really kind of fine tune different colors. But, mm. you know, I think in the end, it's really 
people are exposed to so much more technology and so many more things out there that are helping them make color decisions, envision color, you know, things that 10 years ago didn't even exist. So mm -hmm. it's really, really exciting to see how that's moving so rapidly. And, um, you know, it's just helping people be more informed because mm -hmm. Every single day, you know, we hear about how people are afraid to make a mistake. They want to be able to make a confident color decision. And, you know, there are so many things that kind of get into their head that keep them mm. even from making a decision, period, <laughs> that, you know, being able to offer customers and even designers and architects these different resources, it mm -hmm. really helps to alleviate a lot of the pain mm -hmm. points that have historically happened. Now, I'm going to pick up on something you've said earlier, Meredith about um, people who are uh, visually impaired, does color still affect them if they can't see it? Is there like a physiological thing going on with, you know, the, the emissions that would affect somebody's mood if they can't consciously detect it? Or do we know? I, I do not know the medical answer to that, but I do, I do know that, you know, uh, people who are visually impaired want to have beautiful homes, mm. want to feel welcoming, want their outfits to match, you know, the same way that anybody else does. So Got anything it. we can do to provide them with assistance to make that happen and make it personal mm -hmm. to them um, and what they'd like to have. And, uh, you know, vision, loss of vision happens different ways. You know, mm. it could be happening slowly over time. You're not necessarily born, you know, without vision. So you may really have a sense of mm -hmm. what you want and, and, and a vision in your mind about how you want things to look. And mm. I think it's our job to give them all of the description and all the support that they could possibly have to do that. Mm -hmm. So Andrea, uh, there are colors that I like, my eye is drawn to them, but they don't look good on me. I'm thinking specifically about clothes. Mm -hmm. um, I won't wear chartreuse. Uh, I don't really wear any shade of yellow, even though I really like the friendliness of it. It just doesn't look good against my skin tone. What would you say when it comes to paint? Are there colors that you would tell people to avoid because it really doesn't look good against their skin tone, whatever tone um, they may have? You know, I don't, I don't usually think about color on a wall in relation to them physically, but you know, I think it, it does come back to what colors they're drawn to and what colors they feel best in. And a lot of times, you know, if you look at the clothes that you wear and, you know, you open up your closet and if you have a, a dominant color in there, then chances are that may be a color that you want to bring more of into your home. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and, and I think if there are colors that I would advise someone against using, a lot of times that would have to do with, you know, maybe it's the architecture of the room itself. Maybe it's mm -hmm. the light. Maybe there's some other factor mm -hmm. that I would look at and say, you know what, maybe this isn't the best choice, but mm -hmm. let's look at this. And it's yeah. almost maybe a variation on that color that is going to be more successful. Yeah. I have to say, having gone through a very uh, large scale home renovation, that one of the best things I did, and I had never done this before, is rather, and you mentioned this earlier, but I'm really going to encourage our listeners, rather than just look at little swatches and envision how it looks on the wall or compare it to the pillow, to actually put it on the wall and sit with it for um, a full 24 hours, because at different times of the day, the light from outside shines differently. And maybe the you know, uh, the uh, artificial light that you have in the room can reflect off of it differently. There's just, there was no replacing how it felt in space versus in theory. 
Absolutely. Um, so that is to me um, like something I would always come back to. Um, we, we've had guests in the past who are, we've had fragrance makers that are super smellers, um, chefs who are super tasters. Are there super ciders? Andrea, do you see things that the average person may not? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, I think that I think some people are just born having a good eye for color. I really think that, you know, I have my own little theories about that. But, you know, I think I think it is something that, you know, a lot of people do have an inclination to have a really good, they're well calibrated, you know, they, they are really just naturally good at deciphering differences between colors. But I think there's also potential for people, maybe if it doesn't come completely naturally to them, I think there is potential to kind of train your eye. And that's something that, mm -hmm. you know, we encourage people to look at the undertones of colors, you know, and that, that really comes through when you're comparing two colors. So like, if you're looking at a sample in isolation and it's a neutral in particular, say it's a gray, you know, you're not necessarily going to appreciate whatever the undertones of that color are unless you have it compared to another gray. And that's mm. when you're going to really be able to see, you know, this one has a little bit more blue in it. This one has a little bit more green in it. And a lot of times when we go through that exercise with even designers, you know, not, not just homeowners, even, you know, people who work with fabrics and different mm. materials, that's when the aha moment happens when they're really like, oh, now I get it. Now I can see it. And so I think it's through those experiences and kind of training your eye that people can get better at seeing color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Meredith, you talked earlier about, um, you know, the, we're, we're talking a bit about the, the, the marketing the, the, and how you kind of take this business you're in and express it in, a, um, in, in one of several channels where you're available. I want to talk about other brands. So I have a lot of budding entrepreneurs, whether they're my students at Columbia or at Aesthetic Intelligence Labs, and they, one of the first things they do when they come up with a brand identity is come up with a palette, right? A color mm -hmm. palette. And one frustration of mine is um, I find that the majority of entrepreneurs follow one of two clusters. Either they look at a brand they like, like an Apple or a Coke or, you know, or it could be any uh, Nike, and they try to replicate it. Um, or they come up with very, uh, what I'll call um, impossible to own shades, like mm -hmm. black, mm -hmm. you know, black may be a cool color, you know, uh, but you can't own it because there just isn't the variation and the gradation. What would advice do you have if somebody is saying, I'm coming up with a new palette for my brand to come up with something that, and, and that still is commercially appropriate, right? Because there's a lot of colors like a metallic color will be very hard to replicate in different channels. Right. I mean, how do you think of it from a branding perspective? I would really start with one color that you're really going to make your key color. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, the reason I say that is because 
Um, you have to be marketing in so many channels now, right? You're going to be in video, you're going to be on TikTok, you're going to be in emails, you're going to be a website, you're going to be on cups, maybe you're going to be, mm -hmm. you know, in your product and your tags and things like that. Like, what is the one key color that you can always tie in so that no matter what you're doing, it's going to be your brand. And I think Starbucks does this really well. You know, it could be an illustration, it could be a product, it could be packaging, it could be uh, you know, a, an experiential space or retail mm -hmm. space that you're in, but you always know if that Starbucks green is present, mm -hmm. it's a very particular green, that's going to be it. And it works really well. Like one central color is going to work well in more situ situations um, for you to be mm -hmm. flexible with the rest of your, the style of your marketing than if you're trying to necessarily work with a whole palette. Like, I think you should have a whole palette behind it, you know, so things do look consistent and that you know which colors you like to combine that with. But that key one central color, I think, would be the main thing. Now, I will say mm. for Benjamin Moore, we were really, really um, uh, thoughtful about our recent website redesign where we said, you know what? our brand mark on the website specifically, our logo is beautiful. Um, it's blue and red, but on the mm -hmm. website specifically, because we're showing so many colors, that was going to get in the way of all the colors we're trying to show and the accessibility mm -hmm. of that experience. So we did go with a black and white palette for the most part in our UX design, which is kind of a little bit of a different thing so that we could show every color full bleed on every page and it wouldn't mm -hmm. contrast with anything. But I think in picking out those palettes, that's very important. And I think right now, picking out colors that feel current um, is important. People make a split decision in a couple of seconds, especially if you're a startup, if you're going to be selling on Instagram, they say, this is something I, you know, I can see myself using. This looks like the type of brand I like to buy online. And if it doesn't, you're going to be out, you know, so it has mm -hmm. to feel very modern right now. I would say that is jewel tones hundred percent. You know, it's gotta be a jewel tone. Two years ago, it was more of like a bubble gummy kind of millennial pink and mm -hmm. a little bit of a brighter, um, tone, but, and those, those trends do change a little bit, but I think if you're trying to get out there and get your brand started, picking something really current, like if you look at caraway pants, if you look at away suitcases, they're doing that type of thing and they're executing that very so well. So interesting. So are, are, just in a nutshell, is millennial pink already kind of over? Cause it stuck around a long time. I don't think so. I'll toss that to Andrea, but I think it's just, it, what it's, do you think, it's evolving, but I think it's still there, but I love pink. <laughs> I, I do too. I think it's evolving. How about that? You know, I think, you know, and, and actually pink is an interesting one because that one has really become so much more, I don't know, mainstream, you know, it's really kind of broke away from the little girl associations and it's just really become such a great usable color. And, and I love that if you're in a room that's painted in a pinkish hue, it just, looks so makes your skin look so fantastic. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that, you know, it's pigeonholed like it was in the past and mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there's a lot of different variations on the yep. pinks that we see too. So it's, it's a really, I mean, it's a very I remember usable growing color. up, like if a guy wore pink, it was very effeminate. I actually think it's super cool when I see a guy in pink now. I agree. Um, well, Lossy. I mean, the, the world is, yeah, is ahead, getting, Maria. I was just going to say the world is getting more and more genderless, you know? So yes. I think that's, you know, that's, in, and that, that plays into color too. So it really mm -hmm. kind of, 
throws all of those norms out mm. the window in a way that's really exciting and fun as a as a company and as a brand that that works with color um, because the rules mm. are gone you know in terms of mm. that sort of gender identity being connected to color so um I, I want to come back to something I mentioned um uh, a while ago about about glossy there was a period of time and I think it's still there but not as pronounced where high high gloss was considered very glamorous First of all, it's expensive to do it, to do it well is quite expensive, but it also is starting to look, it, it's not, um, it, you know, it's it's dramatic, but I feel like it's something I'd probably get sick of after a while, that wet, drippy look. Wh what are you seeing though? Is that is that trend still as strong and I'm just not seeing as much of it or drawn to it as much? You know, I, I know exactly what you mean where it would be, you know, the, the entire ceiling or the walls would mm -hmm. be in that super duper high gloss. You know, I, I have to agree. I haven't seen it to that degree. You know, we'll see a really high gloss, you know, trim, or, you know, maybe there's millwork, something like that. So it's used in a little bit smaller ways, you know, and, and it's still, I, I think it's still arguably just as dramatic, just maybe not mm. as much of it. Um, and, and I think it's also seeing the comparison between a matte finish and a higher gloss finish all in one color. That's something that, mm. you know, this real color drenching kind of thing is really mm. cool and something that we're definitely seeing where, you know, you're playing with the sheens. It's a little bit more subtle. And, um, you know, it, it takes the eye just a minute more to kind of register like, oh, wait, that is the same color, but they just changed up the sheen. So it's a really cool technique that uh, I, I know I'm very drawn to. Looking ahead, uh, any big predictions um, for, uh, for color themes, not just 23, but maybe 24, 25? What do you think? Um, I would say, well, I can't give anything away for Color Trends 2023. We're launching that in October. So stay, stay okay, tuned I'll for be that. Out. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I think over the past couple of years, some of the bigger movements that we've seen and that we've been tracking really have to do with people being more apt to bring color into the home. Um, you know, yes. I think we saw that you know, definitely in the, you know, 2015 to 2020, a lot of people were very much in the grays and the whites and love that, love the neutrals. I'm a huge neutral fan, but, you know, I think starting even in 2020, we were seeing people say, you know what, as much as I love my neutrals, I want to start bringing color into my home. And that's one of the things with October Mist, our color of the year for this year is kind of nice because it has color to it, but yet it still can play as a neutral. And the palette that we put together for uh, 2022 is really based on flexibility and mixing and matching and being able to personalize a space and, and be able to say, you know, we had 14 colors and we said, here is your, you know, playground of colors, make any combination and make it really personal to you. And I think it's, it's, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about breaking away from some of the rules, you know, it's really being more um, adventurous with color and not being mm. so afraid of, oh, you know, if I do this, you know, what are people going to think? It's really more about expression and and it's exciting yeah. you know particularly you know, i love for that company i mean i love, love that. that so yeah I so think that um yeah no that's exciting that's exciting and i'm um i'm all for that experimentation 
Um, Meredith, Andrea, for people who want to uh, follow Benjamin Moore, maybe I know you, you, you know, have uh, frequent uh, updates and trend reports. And you mentioned, Andrea, that in October, the color of the year is going to be announced. Where, where can they go? Meredith? Yeah, definitely start with benjaminmore.com. We have an incredible presence on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. Um, and I would recommend if you're on benjaminmore.com signing up for our email newsletter, you'll get mm -hmm. sort of tips right from Andrea's color team um, every week in your inbox. And also you'll be kind of the first to know about things like color of year, new products coming out, um, which is definitely on the horizon. Um, and, uh, you know, people, I I think the other trend that I was going to mention too is like people are painting more often um, than they ever have before, just kind of switching things up to get more in line with their personal style as they're changing their spaces too, as they become more multifunctional offices in the home and things like that. And thinking about like, what is your personal branding, your personal backdrop? Um, so definitely check us out on uh, benjaminmore.com and, and don't be afraid, afraid mm -hmm. to, you know, paint and, and do something bold. And check out that, I will say, people should check out that app, which I use yeah. a lot for color matching. It's a lot of fun. Thank you both. Uh, so interesting. I'd love to have you back for more because we just scratched the surface. Um, <laughs> once again, pun intended. Um, so uh, Meredith Ginsman, Andrea Magno from Benjamin Moore, great paint company. You have encouraged me to go out and put some new swatches on my wall. So thank you again. You have been listening to The Other AI. Look forward to getting up on the conversation next time.